All right, yeah, uh, my name is Steve. My wife and I co-lead a community group, and I have the privilege of participating in the Reality Ventura internship. Today's scripture reading is from Philippians 3, 1 through 9, from the NIV. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. This is God's word. Thank you, Steve. Philippians is our field guide to joy, and the author Paul has been talking about joy that comes from Christian faith, but in different ways. And today we come to this all-important topic of approval and righteousness. Let's pray together, and let's ask the Spirit of God to speak to us today. Heavenly Father, I thank you that every person in this room and those joining us online matter to you. And we pray that as we explore the theme of approval and our search and need for it, that you would show us how beautiful the gospel of Jesus Christ is in answering those needs and how horrible it would be to turn away from your gospel. I pray for those who do not yet know you, that they would come to know you today and be free. I pray for your church, I, I pray that we would live in light of these truths, the truth of your approval and how it comes about in our lives, and that we would experience true joy. Set us free today. Speak to us all by your spirit, through your word. We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, never had my performance history mattered more than when my family and I moved to the United Kingdom. As you must, when you move from the United States to a country like the UK, you must obtain a work visa. And so I essentially had to show the government authorities that I was the best candidate for the job of leading a new church in London. And so naturally, I had to work really hard to make my resume, my list of accomplishments and all of that look as good as possible. I mean, I was throwing everything, including the kitchen sink, into this resume. We had lawyers looking over, it was embarrassing. So, leader, counselor, author, 
church planter, amateur coffee connoisseur. I, I didn't put that in, but I probably should have. But as I was doing it, it was almost as if this process was a metaphor for my life, constantly looking for approval and working hard to get it. You may or may not have seen the ad campaign run by one of those job search websites where it shows these people, but instead of seeing their faces, you see their shoulders and their necks and their hands because they have a piece of paper covering their faces. There were different people, but it was all a paper. And the tagline was, you are your resume. Find the right job. Don't look at me. Look at my resume. And I'm like, this is how we all live. Because friends, the truth is, we're all living for someone's approval. Trying to earn it, making ourselves acceptable and presentable so that we might be accepted. For some of you, it's with your parents. No matter how old you are, you're still living to earn your mother's approval, your father's approval. For others, it's your boss, your employer, or maybe your, your coworkers. You're like, look at my job. It's not just about my financial remuneration. It's about like, I want to be seen as approved. For some of you, it's your friends, your, your social sphere, your social media profile, whatever it is. You're like, look at me. Look at what I've done. Approve me. For some of us, those of us who are parents in the room, you're trying to get approval from your children. Never thought that was a thing. So my kids grew up and became teenagers. Now I'm like, hey, there's like, there's dinner happening in the other room. Like, you want to come? Like, that'd be cool. And teenagers like, I'm like, oh, why do I feel so insecure right now? I just want to hang out with you. <laughs> in one way or another, we're all trying to live to earn the approval of other people. Now here, Paul the Apostle pulls back the curtain on his own life to show us how he used to live for approval. Now, Paul is this incredible scholar with a fantastic performance record. And yet in this passage, he does the most shocking thing. He essentially burns his resume. It's nothing to him. And it becomes a teachable moment for us. He had a completely radical change towards the way that he viewed approval. And this change is the reason for his joy. He's free from this pressure that used to control his need to gain approval that drove his life. And he wants his readers to know the same. To put it in a phrase and to ask a question, joy is knowing that you are approved without having to prove yourself. That's joy. Like, imagine just being free from any need to try to gain or earn someone else's approval. Imagine being free from that this morning. Well, how do we get there? You and I need that joy. But it's going to involve a radical change in how we view approval. And we need to spend a few moments looking at the context before we get to our, our points because Paul shows us how high the stakes are. Look at verse one. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. 
It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. So he opens this chapter again with that great theme of joy. But then he immediately moves to a warning. Why? Because there are people who are trying to steal your joy. There are dangerous people out there with a dangerous message. And he does not mince his words. Verse two and three, watch out for those dogs. Paul, settle down. Watch out for those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Who's Paul talking about and why does it matter? This is important. There were religious people in Paul's day who were trying to kill joy by insisting that they live lives proving themselves to God and to others, which is the exact opposite of the gospel message that Paul had been preaching. This message, this dangerous message brings destruction to your relationships with others and most importantly, a relationship with God. The stakes are high. Now, who are these people more specifically? They were probably teachers from a Jewish background in the city of Philippi who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah but that trust in him was not enough for your salvation. They can't handle the idea that Gentiles, that is non-Jewish people, could be accepted into the family of God just by believing in Jesus. They couldn't believe that. And so they began to insist that in addition to trusting in Jesus, you must keep the Old Testament law. Then you can be saved. And that is where Paul gets spicy. He gives three titles to these dangerous people. And the first, those of you pet owners in the room, you just need to buckle up right now because he calls them dogs. Now, for those of you thinking of your cute little sausage dogs and your golden retrievers at home, just hang on. Because back in the ancient world, it was not common to have dogs as pets. Some of you are like, I don't like church this morning. Just calm down. <laughs> dogs in those days, they were not trained and looked after, but they were viewed as diseased scavengers who would bite people and have deadly consequences. Some of you are like, exactly. <laughs> That's why I don't have pets in my house. And Paul uses that understanding to describe these teachers. They're going around and they have this deadly disease, which is their message, and they're looking to infect you. Then he calls them evil workers. Though they held to moral truths, their insistence on law-keeping in order to be saved distorted the truth of the gospel and actually led people away from God. And then Paul explains what these teachers were teaching, what they were imposing on their hearers by using this next 
disturbing phrase, mutilators of the flesh. What does that mean? Specifically, these religious people were teaching that the external symbol of circumcision taught in the Old Testament was a requirement for salvation. Circumcision was introduced in the Old Testament for the people of Israel, like many other institutions in the Old Testament, as an outward sign of an inward change. A cutting away that represents a cutting away of the heart, a painful breaking away from sin. That was the idea behind the symbol of circumcision. But if the heart did not change, then the symbol has no value. It's all just external. It's all just religiosity. So to summarize, these enemies of the gospel were teaching a Jesus plus works religion. It's not enough just to believe in Jesus. It's Jesus and. Jesus plus this equals salvation. And there are many forms of this even today. Some people might say, well, you're not really a Christian until or unless you worship in this way. Or use this kind of liturgy. Or use these kinds of songs. Or you're not really a Christian unless you speak in tongues. As I was uh, told when I was a new Christian by one church. Or you're not really a Christian until you learn both Greek and Hebrew and are fluent. Or you're not really a Christian until you change your political party. You're not really a Christian until you do blank. Now, all of these things might be important and they might be worth discussing and debating, but we must never treat them as if they were the reason for our salvation. We are saved by nothing but the sheer grace of God and trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Not a rhetorical question. Thank you. <laughs> These teachers were coming in and saying, Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that. And Paul says, no, you dogs, you evil workers, you mutilators of the flesh. The minute we add on to something, to the finished work of Christ, we actually move away from the finished work of Christ. And in adding to the gospel message, they perverted the gospel message. Paul says this is evil because it pushes people away from God. In verse 3, in contrast, no, it's about boasting in Jesus. It's an inside-out worship of God. It's about being free from trying to earn our own righteousness, free from proving ourselves to God and to others. So how can you and I experience the same freedom? And it is at this point that Paul begins to open up his life and reveals how this radical change happen for him and how it can happen for us. And what he lays out 
when he lays out his life, really gets to the heart of the Christian faith and shows why it's completely different to any other religion in the world. And I want you to notice three points from his testimony. And the first is the search for approval. When Paul shares his story, we note first that there is a search for approval in him and in us all. Paul was not always a leader in the Christian church. Before Paul became a Christian, he was a powerful leader amongst other religious leaders in Israel. He too, at one time, used to think the way that these evil workers did. His plan in life was essentially to make a list of all the reasons he should be approved by God and others, and that this list would earn him acceptance. And what were the highlights of his resume? Well, remarkably, there are many of the same areas in which we search for approval. So he's talking to these enemies saying, hey, you need Jesus plus your resume. And Paul's like, oh, you want to talk about resumes? Let me show you mine. It's on you know, LinkedIn or whatever. But first we know the search for approval through social position. If there was ever anyone with a natural advantage, Paul had it. Verse four through five, though I myself might have reasons for such confidence. If someone else th thinks they have reasons to put confidence in their flesh, that is their human ability, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. He is throwing down the gauntlet when it comes to social position. Think about it. Why does he mention that he was circumcised on the eighth day? Well, that meant that his parents followed the law of Israel. Hey, I come from good stock. My parents were in this. Oh, more than that, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. You're like, why does that matter? Oh, it matters. Because out of the 12 tribes of Israel, Benjamin was one of two tribes that did not betray King David in Israelite history. And that was saying something. Oh, what tribe are you? Oh, really? Hmm. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. We never strayed from King David. Like, oh, that gave you so much street cred in Israel. Like, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Oh, you want to talk about Hebrew? I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. This gave him an incredible advantage socially. And isn't that what many people are searching for even today? This social advantage. Oh, if I just have this natural advantage, if I could just show that I'm from this background or I have this pedigree or this status, then I would be acceptable. It's why so many of us are so worried about how other people perceive us, our standing in the community, how we're viewed by our neighbors or you know, on social media or whatever. You're like, oh, you gotta control your brand. Like, how do they view me? How am I perceived if I support this? thing. They're going to look at me like that. We're so worried about it. Why? Because we're searching for approval. We want people's approval. Paul's like, you want to talk about social position? I had it. But then he goes on. Another area in which we often search for approval is through religious passion. Are we searching for approval through religious passion? In regards to the law at the end of verse five, he says, I was a Pharisee. And he explains at the beginning of verse six, as for zeal, 
I persecuted the church. What you need to understand about Paul is that being a Pharisee, I mean, they were the most well-educated people in the religious leader category in those days. They were seen as not only keepers of the law, but guardians of, of the culture. And he was so committed to this that he would fight anything that would threaten it, namely the Christian church. The Christian church comes along and says, hey, all you need to do is believe in Jesus to be saved. And he's like, oh, no, no, that, that is an offense against the keeping of the law. So before Paul became a Christian, he actively persecuted the church. You could read about it in the book of Acts. If anyone said he lacked passion, he said, oh, man, I had zeal. And there are many people today who are trying to earn approval trying to prove their righteousness through their religious zeal. It may not be amongst your family and friends, but I guarantee you, if you go throughout the, the world today, you will find in other countries that there are men and women who are trying to prove themselves to God through their religious passion. Look at what I've done. Look at how closely I cling to, to my religion. Look at all the, the good works that I do. Paul says, you want to talk about zeal? I have it. I was pursuing approval through my religious passion. Look how zealous I am. And then there's a third category. Do we seek approval through moral performance? These are those who would say, look at my track record. I'm a good person. It's fine. Like, look at all the good things that I do. There would be some who would say, if I were just a morally good person, that would prove something. Like you might even say, well, I, I even attend a church or I, I, I do kind acts and whatnot. Like surely that is enough. Well, for Paul in verse six, he says, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. If you're judging me on just my, my resume on the external outward performance, I was faultless. But he says all these areas are examples of putting confidence in the flesh. That's the phrase he uses. The flesh is Bible language for human ability. Putting confidence in human ability. Our personal ability to prove ourselves. That is what Paul is talking about. And the question for us is where are we searching for approval? It could be before God, or before others. What is it that you think you need on your resume or think you have on your resume? Well, look at all this stuff that I've done. Look at all that I've accomplished. Look, look at how I'm doing. Look at my performance. Make no mistake, we're all making lists. We all make them in our mind. Like, oh, I just, I just need a little bit more of that. I just need a little bit more of this. And the more that you insist you can prove yourself, though, the more difficult it becomes. Even if you talk to people who are not particularly religious and they don't put in their effort into like the religious category, people know this. Working hard to like prove themselves and like have a good resume. I was reminded of this when I read uh, David Foster Wallace, who some of you know, award-winning author, died tragically many years ago, not a Christian. Uh, but he, he made this, he coined this phrase called the fraudulence complex. Let, let me read his definition, it's great. He said, the fraudulence paradox 
was that the more time and effort you put into trying to appear more impressive or attractive to other people, the less impressive or attractive you felt inside. You were a fraud. And the more of a fraud you felt like, the harder you tried to convey an impressive or likable image of yourself so that other people wouldn't find out what a hollow, fraudulent person you really were. (laughs) That is such a great description, I think, of how many of us have felt. You like try harder, like I've got to keep up this appearance. I've got to keep proving myself. But it just leaves you hollow because you don't know what to do with with your lack and your failing and where you fall short. Not only before others, but ultimately, and more importantly, before God. He describes the search for approval, but why are we searching for approval? Why was Paul searching for approval? Well, that's the second point is the need for approval. Because I want you to notice, friends, the drive of this whole passage is really captured in the phrase righteousness. It's the issue of righteousness, which he mentions in verse six. I'll just read it again. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. And that theme becomes more clear down in verse nine. We'll get there in a moment. But why is he concerned with righteousness? Notice, He doesn't say that righteousness doesn't matter. What he shows us is that he was looking for it in the wrong places. The truth is we're all concerned about righteousness. Let me give you just a couple of points on that. What is righteousness? Righteousness is a record of performance. Now, though we don't use this phrase in our common vernacular, like, hey, how's your righteousness going? Yeah, pretty good. (laughs) Like we don't talk about it in that way. It's about measuring up to the right standard, living in light of the right standard. And our culture does this, by the way. There is a standard of culture's righteousness. It's not God's righteousness, but it is a form of righteousness. And if you tick all the right boxes, if you say the right phrases, if you support the right causes, then you are righteous. If you do not say the right things, if you do not support the right causes, if you don't behave in the way that society wants, you are unrighteous, canceled, excommunicated. It's a thing. People care about righteousness. They recognize a need that there's a standard and we've got to measure up to that standard. Why do we care about it so much? Because the right performance will gain acceptance. That's the idea. If I do this, then I will be approved and accepted. And this is how Paul used to live as it related to God. He said, whatever was to my profit, we'll get there in a moment. The way he lived, he saw it as profit, like I'm gaining or I'm earning something. This was a time in his life when he believed his good works, his religious passion, his social position, and his moral performance would earn him something. He was relying on his resume. Why? To gain acceptance before God and with other people. The resume, we use it in all contexts. If you want the right job, you gotta have the right credentials. You want to build this relationship, you gotta like put your best forward, like show them what you've got. And we go through this continual cycle of trying to lift ourselves up when we're doing good or beat ourselves up when we fail. 
Like, hey, I'm crushing it. Oh no, I'm trash. Oh no, I'm good at it. Oh no. Like it's just this constant cycle of pride and anxiety. But here's what you need to know. Here's what the Bible says. The acceptance we need, our performance cannot provide. And this is what led to the radical change in the life of Paul. We will all stand before God. His standard is the only standard that matters. His standard is the right standard. What will we offer for our acceptance? Paul's original plan in life was to have a fantastic resume of righteousness. I think I can earn heaven, Paul would have said to himself. When I stand before God, I'm going to give him my resume. But here's the problem. If you live by your righteousness, you will die by your unrighteousness. If you do not fulfill the standard, if you don't crush it, you failed. Even if you attained this like certain peak in your moral performance, you got to maintain that for the whole of your life. One slip and we're guilty. In the end, you do need approval. You do need righteousness. The question is, where will you get it? And this, friends, is where Paul had a revelation. When he saw what the law of God really demanded, that it wasn't just the external, but that it was the internal, his own heart, his own desires, his imaginations, that God wanted righteousness from the inside out, he was undone. But that's what led him to trust in the righteous performance of Jesus. And so he says in verse seven through eight, but whatever were gains to me, my resume, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. We need to think about the phrasing that he's using here. And to do that, think about your bank balance. Not that I want to create any more financial anxiety for anyone here. But let's use a bank account analogy. Imagine, for the month of October, you thought that you set up within your bank account regular deposits of money to be made each day. Every day, you were under the impression that deposits of money were going in your account. And as you approached the end of October and you thought about all the bills of November, you're like, I'm good. Hey, there's a bill coming up. Registration's due. No problem. I've got deposits coming in by the day. When I look at November, it is without fear. Until on November 1st, you log in and discover to your horror and your shock that not only were those deposits not going in, but debits were coming out, overdrawn. Some of you are like, oh. it's like the worst word, overdraft, overdraft. What you thought was giving you gain, 
you find, you find out was actually a lust. It was putting you in the negative. That is essentially what Paul is saying when he uses that image of profit and loss in verse seven and eight. For friends, in the bank balance of heaven, Paul realized that what he thought was bringing him nearer to God was actually keeping him from God. He thought every good work that he was trusting in was earning him credit in heaven's bank account, only to realize it was actually pushing him away from God because he was trusting in himself and not in what God had provided. Paul's confidence came crashing down when he saw that despite all his effort, he still fell short because he trusted in his resume. But, Paul says, when I trusted in Jesus, when I saw his perfection, when I saw all that he had done for me, I realized that all along I was trying to be my own savior through my own works. And that will never save so let's be clear. It was not that Paul's upbringing or his education or his status were evil. It was his attitude towards them that was keeping him from God. He was leaning on those things, using those things to justify himself before God. Friends, to be a Christian, to become a Christian, is to completely drop the idea that you can save yourself. To be a Christian is to completely drop the idea that you can earn heaven, that you can earn God's favor, or that somehow you're helping God do it. As if God's like, hey, I gave you Jesus, that's like 70%, consider it a down payment, you're on the hook for the rest. And you're like, thanks, Jesus for the leg up, for the stimu spiritual stimulus check. You know, now I'll do the rest. And he's like, I got you. To be a Christian is to completely drop that idea. This was stated very clearly even in the Old Testament that relying on your own resume would never work. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 64 verse 6 says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. When you understand what God's standard truly requires, what it actually demands, the response is not, I got this. The response is, I could never. Paul's righteousness in his previous life was external, not internal. It worked on the outside, never on the inside. Religiosity, good moral performance will never save us, will never make us right. And that's why Paul would later say, after believing in Jesus in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. In summary, when Paul looked at the law and then he came to count and assess his own righteousness, he's like, my resume is trash. 
and yet here he's full of joy. Why? Because in Jesus, he discovered, thirdly and lastly, the gift of approval. The approval you and I need is a gift. He says in verse 8 through 9, the very righteousness that God demands from us is the righteousness that God provides for us in Jesus. And so he says, and to be found in him, Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. A Christian is a person who knows their approval does not come from their performance, but Christ's performance. So let's break it down. Christ's perfect performance is transferred to us when we believe. That phrase Paul uses there, to be found in Christ, not with the performance record of my own. What gives me approval with God is the righteousness of Jesus. And the righteousness of Jesus opens the door to enjoy every good thing that the perfect performance of Jesus entitles you to. All the blessings and benefits of salvation all the way into eternity are secured because of Jesus. And we receive the approval we need when our trust is transferred to him. So when Paul says, when I stand before God, I do not intend to talk about my religious performance. What do you intend to talk to God about when you breathe your last? What does your neighbor intend to talk to God about when they breathe their last? Paul says, I used to plan to present my resume, but now everything is changed. When I stand before God, I'm going to take that resume, I'm going to cross out everything, and I'm going to write Jesus on it and hand it in, and God will say, you're accepted. I'm going to take that resume, I'm going to cross everything out, I'm going to write Jesus on it. And that's what gains me acceptance. Philippians 3 shows us what is at stake. To be clear, without faith in Jesus, we have no righteousness to offer. We have no resume that will earn God's approval. If you're not yet a Christian and you're just thinking like, but I'm trying not to do a lot of bad things. I even attend Reality Ventura every once in a while. Like, and we love you. We're glad that you're here. That will not earn approval before God. It will not deal with the problem of sin. Attending a church will not give you a new heart. Trusting in Jesus gives you a new heart. And that is the good news, is that God looks at you when you trust in Jesus through the perfect performance of his son. Because on the cross, when the Son of God came to our world, he lived the perfect life that we could never live. And when he died on the cross, a great exchange happened. The penalty that we deserve because of our sin was transferred to Jesus. But when we trust in him, his perfect performance is transferred to us. 
I think about typing my resume, you know, on, on my computer, and I just hit delete, and I go to Christ's performance document, Apple C. I go to my document, Apple V, which is copy-paste for other users, and that's what happens. Mine gets deleted, his performance record, copy and paste it onto mine, and God says, I look at you through my son. Which means that in the Christian life, you do not work for approval, you work from approval. You do not pray and invest in the church and share the gospel to get approval from God. You share the gospel, you pray, you serve in the church because you are approved in Christ. That is the good news for us. It's what changed Paul's life. It is what changes our life. So how do we get that confidence? Let me just say three things before we pray and we worship and we have an opportunity to respond to this. The teaching of Philippians 3 means at least three things. First, because of Jesus, the fear of rejection is removed. If you're living, if you're trying to live the Christian life and gain acceptance from God and finding your security in how well you perform, friends, I love you, but you're doomed. <laughs> There's always that fear of rejection because we sin and we fail. What are we gonna do? But when Paul says, I've suffered the loss of all things, he's saying, I don't count on these things anymore. My reputation, my social standing, my religious passion and position, if I lose that, it's not the end of the world because these things are not my righteousness, which means I don't have to fear rejection. Also, because of Jesus, the acceptance we need is secure. Though we might lose these things or we might fail at them, they are not what makes us acceptable before God. Jesus is. He is my righteousness. And third, because of Jesus, the pressure to perform is off. And that's good news for me and for you. Perhaps you feel crushed under the weight of your own failures, your own sins and shortcomings. Well, it's been said, you really know what you believe when you fail. What's the story you tell yourself when you fail? When you fail and you sin, do you just sit there and beat yourself up? You're like, no, man, I can't believe I did that. I'm going to do better tomorrow. I'm God, you wait. You wait. It's a little blip. It's a footnote on the resume, but ooh, I'm going to have a good one tomorrow. And we like motivate ourselves from that place. Get it. Like, Yeah. You know what you really believe when you fail. But here's what happens when you know that Jesus is your righteousness and you fail. Here's what happens. When you sin and you do wrong, you could say, I sinned and it was wrong. That was unrighteousness. But I can still come to God because my approval before God does not depend on me. It depends on Jesus. I can repent. God does not approve of the sin that I do, but I can be accepted and forgiven because of what Jesus has done. And so I can repent. I can turn around. I can have a clean heart and a fresh start. That's what it means. But also for those of you who are like, well, I don't do terrible things. Well, it... <laughs> here's what this also means. Even if you had not done that terrible thing yesterday, even if you had not done your sin yesterday, it does not make you more acceptable to God. See, many of you are living are like, well, those people come down to the carpets. Wow, they must be really messed up. 
they must have had a really bad Saturday with the kids. I, on the other hand, was a pretty, like, good parent. That does not make you, well, good job, by the way. That does not make you more acceptable before God because it's not about your resume. It's about Christ's resume. It's perfect, and it's given to you as a gift. Will you trust it? Religion says only on your best days does God accept you. The gospel says even on your worst days, you are accepted because of Jesus. Joy is knowing that you have nothing to prove because you are approved in Jesus Christ. May we all today rip up whatever resume we think we have and trust in the perfect performance of Jesus and run to him for all that we need. Let's pray that we would do that even now. Father, we thank you and cannot thank you enough that you have provided for us in Jesus all that we need. Nothing else needs to be added or tweaked or changed for us to be saved, for us to be accepted, for us to be justified. We simply receive. And I pray for those in this room or joining us online, for those who have not yet trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and through his resurrection for their salvation, I pray that they would do so right now. That they would say to you, Lord Jesus, I am not trusting in my resume. I'm trusting in yours. I believe you died for my sins. You rose for my salvation. I trust in you. I pray that they would pray that right now and not let another moment go by. And for us as your people, God, I pray that our reliance on our resume would not keep us from running to you in prayer and confession and repentance and asking for help and adoring you in worship. I pray that the way that we all respond right now would be a response based on the performance of Jesus. And as a result, change us from the inside out, oh Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.